Welcome to the Photo Advisor Podcast. <laughs> Wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Bradley Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is going to be a huge. <laughs> you, you can just go ahead and warn your audience now, Clint, that this may just go off the rails at some point. It already has a little bit, but maybe we can get it back on track. Welcome to the Photo Advisor Podcast, the show for scholastic photography teachers. I'm Clint Smith, the Photo Advisor and Online Media Advisor at Texas High School in Texarkana, Texas. In this episode, we're going to be discussing professional development. Joining me today are the Executive Director and Senior Consultant of the Association of Texas Photography Instructors, Mark Murray and Dr. Bradley Wilson. Welcome, guys. Howdy. Thank you. Okay, so uh, I've known you guys for about 17, 18 years now. And uh, I will say that y'all were very instrumental in getting me professionally developed as a, as a teacher. Um, I came into the job, you know, with about 10 or 12 years worth of experience. And, and actually through extension, uh, one of my friends who was actually one of Wilson's uh, students taught me a lot of this stuff. So it's like Bradley has also been one of my teachers as well, you know, through the extension um, well, I'm pretty amazed that you've been as successful as you are if he was one of your teachers. <laughs> well, you know, it happens, you know. Oh, okay. You know, All blind right. blind monkey finds a one. banana every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but anyway, the, the the thing that I've noticed and, and other people have noticed, especially my guest in last week's show noticed, um, is that especially for journalism advisors, um, most of the time they didn't study necessarily journalism in, in college. They studied, you know, English or became an English teacher and then they got thrust into the journalism job, you know, at their schools and they've got the writing component, but photo, not so much. And, you know, for the, for the rookie out there, or even for the person that's the experienced advisor, but just doesn't feel comfortable with photo, where do they start? Well, I think there's I think there's definitely some good opportunities out there, but you have to look for them. You can't just you don't you can't expect them to fall into your lap. Uh, but I think it's critical that any teacher who's working with photography, whether it's in the journalism world, whether it's art or career in tech, that if their if if their skill set is not fully developed in the photo area that's one of the areas that they, I think that's one of the things that they've got to get training on. They've got to understand enough about it to be able to then elevate their kids to doing even more. And, and I think, I think all three of us would say that uh, a really good teacher often just sort of directs their kids into learning the things that they need to learn as opposed to just, you know, pouring knowledge into them. But I think the teacher still has to have some basic understanding of camera controls and composition and lighting and all the things that we know are important to getting a good photograph. And Clint, I, I would add to that and say, um, I think the most important thing a teacher can pass along to students is passion. And anybody can do that, right? With the right ideas and the right motivation, they can pass the passion along. The skills, ultimately, if you think about that first year journalism teacher or even CTE teacher or even a photo teacher, quite frankly, the technical stuff 
is so far down on the list. You know, I looked at that first year yearbook advisor that's managing you know a hundred thousand dollar budget or something like that, and they're way more worried about wait, how do I keep track of this money, or or how do I check out this camera gear um, than f stops and shutter speeds. So the thing I would pass along to people is what is your priority? What do you need to learn the most? Is that survival skills, right? If it's survival skills, then find a good teaching workshop that's going to teach you teaching survival skills that they just don't teach in college. If it's if you're an amazing teacher of writing, and those are really out there, there's more than a few of those, but photography is your weak point, then find some really good workshops on photography. If it's classroom management, find find resources in those areas. Um, so I, I would say figure out what your priorities are. Um, and and I agree with Mark completely. That's time number one on that, by the way. Um, and, you know, sort of make a list of priorities. I knew photography really well when I started teaching, but I had no idea how to manage a grade book. Nobody ever taught me that. Um, so after my first six weeks and students informed me that I wasn't doing it the right way, I was like, oh, well, maybe that's something I need to learn. So that quickly became my priority. So I, I guess it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, you know, which comes first, you know? Um, and so what I'm hearing from you guys is, do you work on your weakest point first? Or survival skills. I mean, for those young teachers, you know, unfortunately in journal, in the journalism world, and I don't know that this is true in the CTE world, but our average teacher doesn't even make it five years. Right. So I'm all about providing those teachers with what they need to survive past that five-year mark because i also know that if i can keep them past five years i probably got them hooked for their career well you know so, one, of, one of the things that happened with me was i was originally hired to, to do just cte and then it got partnered and oh there goes the dog um hey that's okay suey my dog was in last week's show it's okay dogs are just a dog friendly <laughs> show that, that was coda yes uh, yes so um the 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 being partnered part you know, made me feel like I wasn't alone. And, and I know a lot of schools aren't going to have, you know, two separate programs that can end up being merged together. But um, what are ways that we can actually make that happen outside of the building? Well, I, I think that's, again, where associations and organizations come into play, because you're right, for a lot of photo teachers, a lot of journalism teachers, they are the only one in their building that understands what they're trying to do. And if you're in a small district where you've only got one high school, then you've got to look outside your district. Uh, and that's where those state associations and national organizations come into play. Uh, if you're in lucky enough to have multiple schools in your district, multiple high schools or multiple middle schools or junior highs, then that at least starts giving you a hopefully some peers that you can talk to and commiserate with and share ideas with. Um, but if if you don't make the effort to look outside your building, you're just going to suffer in silence. You're going to 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 never really overcome whatever obstacles you have because you're trying to solve it all yourself. And there, there are there are lots of people out there who are glad to offer advice on how they overcame the problem you're facing uh, if you just go look for them. Yeah, I, I almost guarantee people that I can find somebody in your state that will be a resource for you. Um, and I would go outside of education even. I think for photography, looking at the community newspaper, um, 
go get that go get the photographer for the local community newspaper to come in and work with your students or um, hook up with them on the sidelines at the football game. I think those local media outlets are a great resource. Co local colleges and universities, um, they're a great resource. I mean, the community college system in Texas is amazing. And a lot of them have very strong photography programs. And so do a lot of the universities. And those are resources that are often, you know, right down the road um, that we just need to take more advantage of. Well, wait, is, isn't, you know, just to get a plug in, I hear that Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls has a really great photo uh, instructor <laughs> there who who could probably offer a lot of great advice. Just, you know, in case you're looking for a great college like Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas, uh, that would be one you'd want to check out. That's two. Actually, our broadcast program is probably stronger than our photography program. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, state associations. Um, I know there's, you know, TAJE for, for Texas, and then there's Arkansas State Press for, you know, and that's kind of where I am on, you know, the crack between Texas and Arkansas. Hence the name Texarkana. Exactly. Huh? Um, but um, from what I understand, there's not another ATPI or Association of Texas Photography Instructors. But nobody has been able to successfully make that a thing, have they? That was a really yeah. awesome split infinitive. Yes. To successfully <laughs> make it happen. Um, yeah. It, it's also, it, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Right. I mean, we've not actually, the three of us have actually never had this discussion before about why this hasn't happened in California or Kansas, Kansas, Missouri. Um, there's some amazing photography teachers in Kansas, Missouri that, together could form their own association. But in my two cents worth, they're more than welcome to join ATPI. And, and you know, years and years ago, in fact, you know, before you were even teaching Clint and back when I had hair, which tells you how long ago that was, um, the Eastman Kodak Company actually had a photo educator newsletter. And they did a story about ATPI about the fact that they couldn't find any other organization like us uh, anywhere in the world. And I think one of the things that that has always been a real strength for us, and I, I would I would say this to any or any state that's looking at trying to put something together, two things actually. One, we're cross-curricular. You know, we sort of recognized early on it's photography. It doesn't matter if that photography program is an art program or a career and tech program or a journalism program or a vocational program. It's all photography. And I think that's one of the things that people always talk about is the fact that they learn from people that they wouldn't ever normally talk to because they're talking to people who have their same interests but are in a completely different curriculum area. I think that's one reason why the organization has has been successful. The other reason, and I, and I joke about this, but it's true. Uh, and it, you know, anyone who knows Texas will know that if you put a contest out there, they will come. And and that's always been the sort of driving force. It, yeah, you can. There are certainly people who argue that competition is not necessarily the direction they want to put their students and that's fine but if you want to find a commonality if you want to find people who have some of the same interests uh doing some sort of photo contest is a great way to get them out of the woodwork you know Clint, you think about it we're, we're not the only ones in texas the um, texas a&m commerce had a big photo contest for years um, there's other groups out there that have big photo contests 
what's what's kept ATPI moving forward always is one, we've evolved. Um, I think that's one of the organization's strength. Um, you know, we didn't we, we were ahead of the digital curve, we were ahead of the broadcast curve, we were providing instruction in those areas before other people were. And we were providing some people would say we were a little bit behind in the video area, but but we were providing video contests before anybody else was. So I I I think it's cool that we're ahead of that curve. Okay, well, so here comes my shameless plug for ATPI because ATPI helped me immensely as a as an instructor. And regrettably, I've only been to two of the summer workshops for teachers, um, mainly because I'm a dad. But there's you yeah. know th- that's I had to kind of you know play that role, um, or not kind of play the role. I, I wanted to play that role, but. If you go to the like to the summer workshop and things, uh, describe how people kind of find their tribe there. Well, it, I think you can look at the number of returning people that we've had attend multiple years to to see that it it provides not only a tribe for them, but it often reinvigorates them. Especially, you know, doing that workshop in June is a great opportunity to sort of put the previous year behind you and get excited and get new ideas about what might be coming or what you could do for next year. Uh, And that's always been a big part of that workshop. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a tribute to the, you know, I I have to give a plug to John Nauer uh, who, who was really the first one to, to come to us and say, Hey, I think this would be a real great, I think this is a need, and it's something that ATPI could fulfill. Uh, and so he was really the one who got us going on doing these summer workshops. And we've had, you know, thirty years worth of of workshops now, uh, and it's it's impacted a lot of teachers, not just in Texas, but we've had teachers from all over the country that have attended, just because it is geared specifically to improving photography skills, whether that's lighting skills or digital skills or video skills or whatever the area is. It, it, it's, it's certainly varied from year to year. Um, but at the same time, it's a great opportunity for teachers to, to create those or to find those peers that they can go to when they have questions. I think the other thing that's unique about our piece of that, um, for instructors, it's all hands-on. That summer workshop is is all about getting your hands on cameras and taking pictures and being critiqued and, um, you know, or whatever the classes may be that they're going to, um, you know, sometimes it's on computers, sometimes it's uh, with lighting equipment that they haven't seen before, uh, whatever the case may be, it's it's a hands-on experience for them. And I don't know of very many other photo workshops uh, at all that do that, whether it's for students or for advisors. And sometimes advisors, instructors are afraid to get it out of their shell and uh, we're not afraid to get them out of their shell. Um, I remember our very first workshop in Collin County, and um, I was all real nervous about teaching the Photoshop class, and I think it was Photoshop 4 uh, that we were teaching that year, and I had a plan down to the minute. I mean, you know how I am, right? I had a plan down <laughs> to the minute, right? And on day one, you know, these, the instructors show up, and everything's cool, and we're in this beautiful new facility, and day two, people are starting to look a little weary, and people walked in, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, where's the coffee? And I remember Mark and I looked at each other, and, hmm, didn't think about bringing coffee, did we? 
<laughs> oh, I remember my very first one. It was like a, the very first, you know, I call it the safety brief. It was, okay, what sweets and coffees do you want? And we were, <laughs> and we were in, we were in commerce, See, we Texas. Learned. <laughs> we learned from our experiences, right? Because part two of that was, um, and we, you know, we spend a lot of time going over the evaluations after the workshops. And one of the instructors who's a great friend of mine in San Antonio wrote uh, her evaluation. She wrote, it was all work and no shop. And she wanted to go into Dallas and go shopping. And we kept her in or not in, in Plano um, for the entire time, working and working and working. So we learned, we learned from our mistakes, but um, we built some playtime into all of the workshops. Now we bring coffee. We have games with candy, bag, bag, big bags of candy and, and stuff to make it part, you know, what you said before, building that tribe and building that camaraderie so that when people get back in the fall and they start the grind, they've got a group of resources. Look, I can call Mitch Ziegler in California and have a discussion with him about grading or whatever the case may be. Oh yeah. And I think all of those things are important. Well, and, and I think Mitch calls me about it once every six months or so and just kind of goes, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, right. and, and yeah. that, that came from eating carnitas, you know, in Fort right. Worth, you know, we, we sat down, we, we, we had meal and we got to know each other. And, and that's something that, uh, it's, if you stay in your classroom and you stay in your, your little town, the, then you don't get that, that tribe. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend one summer, the, a, a photo educator workshop that Brooks Institute did out in Santa Barbara. And I learned some really valuable lessons. I had some of the most amazing meals sitting out on the balcony overlooking the Pacific Ocean uh, on that campus. And it was like, all right, so if you're going to do a workshop for teachers, you need to have really good food. You need to feed them really well. Because like you said, Clint, it's that opportunity to sort of, you know, make friends over a meal. But it's also a great way to make sure that people want to keep coming back because they have such a great time and they have good memories about it as well. Um, yeah, I call that, 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 that was, that was a really, that was a really great come to the workshop. Pat came to, how many times did Pat Gathright come to the workshop? Uh, t 12, 15 times. I think. Few, right? Cause, right. Cause she kept winning all the door prizes. That's why <laughs> she kept coming back. Uh, of course the, you know, the, the four by five, uh, Cinar, uh, camera that she won one year, didn't really get a whole lot of use in her journalism program, but it was a great door prize. So that'd been a great, it was door a great prize. doorstop too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know what it was, but she traded it off for something later. Didn't she? I think she did. I think she did. And, and, and Clint, the other one, you know, I do think that as Bradley said, having that hands-on experience is really helpful. I think one of the, one of the other summer workshops specifically for uh, advisors for journalism advisors is the JEA Advisors Institute. And Bradley is very involved in the photo track with that one. And I think a lot of what we've learned through ATPI, he's able to apply at that workshop where the teachers really are going out in whatever city they're in and photographing and building stories. And, and that's really the key is that, you know, I, I would say to any of the teachers that are listening to this, that find a summer journalism workshop that's do that has a photo track. And instead of just putting your kids in there, you go attend that class um, because that's another great way to, to sort of learn what the kids are learning so that you're more comfortable uh, talking about both the, you know, the camera controls as well as the importance of storytelling. 
Yeah, I'll tell you my idea of a success. I can I can tell a successful photography program when I walk into the program within about five minutes because I look around and see who's doing stuff. If it's the instructor sitting giving directions to everybody, okay, that's good at the beginning of class, but it, in the middle of class, that's not a successful program. When the instructor turns it over to the students and the students are teaching students, that's a successful program. Oh, and I'll agree with that. Um, one of the things that I implemented whenever I started, you know, really doing more of the journalism part with ours is we instituted a boot camp. And then during that boot camp, I had the advanced students uh, pair up. And then the they were paired for at least the first semester. And we call them battle buddies. And, you know, that was the person they went to. And I thought I knew photography, you know, whenever I started teaching. And then I started teaching it. And then I really started learning photography, you know, and it was more because I had to really start pushing out the things that I actually knew, but I had to push them out in a manner which my kids would understand them. And one of the things that I did, I think it was my second year was I just took off or I took every poster in every reference of the exposure triangle out of my curriculum. And I said, you can't learn geometry without first learning algebra. And so what I did was I just took the exposure triangle and laid it out flat and I teach it as a pipeline and you start at one end of the pipeline and you go to the other end and, and you work the math problem that way. My kids understood that and it, I'm still teaching the exposure triangle, but I, the way I do it meets them where they are and not necessarily just trying to make them understand because I don't know who came up with the exposure triangle, but it's absolutely horrible, but <laughs> I know it's been well, taught for and, years. And, but. And, and Ian McVeigh would agree with you on that. He does not like the uh, talking about the exposure triangle. You know, I, because of my college background of, of going through the photo program at, at the time, East Texas state university, the approach that I took in my classroom was that the, the, the instruction was, that the technical and the art, the composition, the lighting, all of those things were equal in the way I taught them, that we didn't just concentrate on the technical side first and sort of not worry about the, the composition side, but on vice versa, we didn't just go out and try and get stories and photos without understanding what the camera was doing to get those images. Uh, one of my favorite things to do at the beginning, and, they, and you could do this on the old Pentax K1000 because it was a completely manual camera, is after talking about lighting a little bit, I would take all the batteries out of those Pentax K1000s and send my kids out to shoot their first roll of film with no light meters. Just having to use basic daylight exposure to figure out exactly what to expose that film at. And it was a great way to sort of throw them uh, throw them to the wolves in terms of uh, really having to understand what those controls on the camera did. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can actually reverse engineer this and see if I can make this work. So if you did that, would you send them out and just say, okay, you know, the sunny 16 rule and then work backwards from there. Is that how you'd uh -huh. do that? Okay. All right. Hey, yay. I, I, had, <laughs> I had, I had a great little reference card that I got at the Brooks workshop that said here, all the, the, offsets for the basic daylight rule for every other lighting condition you might find yourself in. And it was a great, I, so I'd print up cards and all my kids would get one of those with the battery, battery less camera and say, all right, use this card and go out and figure out your exposures. And you got that at a workshop. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Clint, yeah. I'm with you and 
and meeting the students where they are. And the fact is where they are right now is with cell phones. And so now even with my photojournalism class, which is an upper division class now, um, we do technical stuff second. Their first assignment, I haven't covered any technical stuff because they've got their camera. They think they know how to take pictures, right? So we just send them out and then I bring them back and we start pointing out all of the things that they didn't know, right? So you think back to the old days um, when I was teaching high school, um, it, it cost six, $6 per roll of film. We couldn't afford, they they might get three, four, five rolls of film in a semester, you know, to shoot, um, depending on, I had 45 photographers at my last high school in my photojay classes. That was a lot of film that we went through and that was a lot of money. So we could, we had to teach the technical stuff first because we couldn't afford for them to go out and fail yeah. 36 times and come back with nothing because that was going to be Debbie Downer. I mean, talk about turning a student off to a photo program, you know, you come back and none of your pictures, like my first roll of film had one picture on it. I remember it, you know, and so that was a debut. So we spent, you know, weeks teaching f-stops and shutter speeds and practice loading film into the camera and how to see that the film was winding in the camera and all that kind of stuff. We don't have to do that now, right? We can, like, like Mark said, now we can combine our teaching of composition and um, all the lighting stuff and technique stuff kind of at the same time. And then not forget about storytelling and meaning. Um, you know, I used to joke with my my students, high school was all about learning technique. College was all about learning composition. And then once you got out in the real world, you could concentrate on telling stories. Well, now we can throw that back to the students in high school and say, let's talk about technique. Let's talk about composition. But let's all talk, talk, about, talk about storytelling moments. We can now spiral all of our... Uh, composition, storytelling, exposure settings, and all those things now where we couldn't do it beforehand. What's the importance of getting students to conventions and workshops? Because that's professional development to me as well. Well, I use I use conventions and workshops as both a recruitment tool and a retention tool. Um, that is, hey, we get to go to San Francisco. Yay, right? And, and my students always, both at the college level and the high school level, had to pay for part of it, but not all of it. Right. So they went off and that was that was cool because they got to go someplace cool. And like Mark said, even at the instructor workshops, you know, we ate at cool places. Sometimes we'd go to ball games or whatever and do something fun. Uh, but then that group, um, you know, I can think back to sports students that I taught in college that are still uh, working with each other at different media outlets because of things that they learned at workshops. So that is important. But it's also a good retention tool. Um, and that, you know, they're learning. It, it's it's the old, um, we can tell them something 1,500 times and they don't listen to us, but they go to a workshop and hear the exact same thing from another instructor. And now all of a sudden it's gospel. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I go to the winter conference and something I've said, or they, they kind of like, oh, no, no, no. Then I have them go to your class or somebody else's class. And they're like, oh, yeah, that came in handy. I used that, you know. And, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, <laughs> my students would come back and they go, we heard from this guy named Clint Smith from Texarkana. And he was talking about the exposure triangle, how he makes it linear. And that just makes so much sense. I'm like, oh, my oh, God, I've told you that a thousand times. <laughs> um, but and you, and you don't dare say that, right? It's like, it's like what you say is, yeah, Clint's really good. You should listen to what Clint has to say. <laughs> Um, you know, so there's that, there's that piece of it. Um, but I also want to emphasize something that I've learned over the years and how important it is for students to reflect upon going to those things. And so my students had to write summaries of every single session that they went to. And so, you know, they didn't have to be very long, 
But if I took 10 or 15 students to a workshop, you know, we could have a couple hundred summaries. And we took those summaries and we actually published them. We created a publication and with all with some of the photos that we took, a list of all the awards that we won at the workshop, and then the summaries of their sessions. And we gave a copy of that to all of the other students that didn't get to go to the workshop and our administrators and school board members so that they got to see that that, and it's not insignificant chunk of change, right? That chunk of change that they spent sending those students to those workshops, they got something out of it. And it was tangible. And it was, look, here's a copy of this publication. Sometimes it was 16, sometimes it was 32 pages. And we made sure that our administrators got copies of that. So there's recruitment and retention. So evidence. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mark, you'd mentioned something about uh, having students that go to conventions and things. Uh, well, you know, one of one of the things, just like Bradley was saying, if if you are taking kids to a workshop or to a convention and only asking them to get a signature from that speaker at the end of the session to prove that they were there, you're missing a great opportunity to have them not only you know, absorb what it is that they are hearing, but then taking that back and sharing that with students that were either not in that session or weren't able to attend the convention at all. So my encouragement to advisors, to teachers has always been, if you take them to a workshop, don't just, you know, have them share what they learned. What's what's one thing they got out of that session that they think the rest of their classmates could benefit from? Because if you've got eight or 10 or 15 kids at that convention, that's a whole lot of information you're able to pass on. And that's how you build the program. You know, we're going to be airing this in mid-January-ish. It's kind of getting about that time to where we're starting to think about planning for the summer workshops. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Advisors... And, and students need to be thinking about, okay, what are we going to be doing during the summertime? Um, what are some of the workshops that you guys specifically recommend? You know, I know the one that I teach at, but I'd like to hear uh, what you think. Well, you know, we're, we're working on the plans for the ATPI summer workshop. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll probably be in the Dallas Fort Worth area uh, for this summer. Now that one, um, that one is just for teachers, correct? That one is just for teachers. Um, but there's, you know, the the number of summer camps that are out there for students that teachers can take advantage of, uh, whether it's the Gloria Shields NSPA Media Workshop, whether it's ILPC down in Austin, whether it's something that your own state organization is is putting together, or whether it's something that the yearbook company rep is doing. There's lots of really great workshops all over the country during the summertime. It's really just a matter of finding one that's someplace you want to travel to or that you want to send kids to and that fits within your schedule. Because uh, there's certainly, uh, there, there's, I don't think you could say that there's not an opportunity throughout the summer. It's just a matter of setting aside some time to do it. And Clint, I'd go back to, um, even without, talking about specific workshops, I'd go back to uh, what are your goals? What are your goals for the workshop? If your goal is to come up with a yearbook theme packet, man, those yearbook workshop com- company workshops have got that down, right? So those are awesome. 
right? But in terms of teaching photography skills, that's probably not the best place to be. Maybe some of them are really quite good, um, but that's probably not the best place to be. But then if you want to go teaching photography, okay, if there's ATPI, um, there's just, there used to be five or six national big workshops out there. Um, Ball State used to have a huge one. They ran like 900 people per week for three or four weeks. And those big gigantic ones just don't exist so much anymore. Now it's much more about the regional local ones. Um, I encourage schools to get together with two or three schools in their area and do what you need and bring in one person that it's meeting your goals. Um, I used to bring in with my students uh, one expert every year, you know, depending on what we needed to work on. And what, what did I think was our big weakness? You know, when we would pay travel meals and hotel for one person to come in every summer and spend a week with us working on whatever that was, like you said, at your boot camp, you know, we went away for a retreat um, and our retreat was five days long. You know, and that was, we were taking 50 or 60 people to a five day retreat. Not everybody can afford to do that, but you can certainly afford like in my area. Now we have, uh, we, we used to, we haven't done it in a couple of years, pandemic. Thank you very much. But we used to do a three-day workshop that was just days only, and it cost the schools nothing, right? So we partnered with my university, and we invited schools in, and it was, you know, five or six-hour days with the lunch in the middle that the university paid for for three days, and it worked great. And it was very targeted at those schools. Um, so it just depends on your needs and your goals. The other thing I would also uh, tell teachers specifically to look at are those work, those photo workshops that are completely outside the realm of education. The Santa Fe workshop uh, is a great, has some great classes. Now they're they're on the pricier side, but that doesn't mean that you know. I, I know teachers that have been able to attend even those pricey workshops and been able to get funding from their school or from the PTA or places like that in order to be able to afford to attend. Um, I, I think the main photographic workshops are still happening. I haven't heard as much from them over the years. Um, the, I know the Eddie Adams workshop is starting up again, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it wouldn't, this probably, this probably wouldn't be the target audience for them, but that's yeah. an amazing workshop. Yeah. But you yeah. have to, you have to apply and get a, yeah. And that it's, one's a, it's more it's for a, young professionals yeah, in the, yeah. in the business, but, but people like Kyle Carter in Missouri, are doing some virtual workshops that if you're a young photo teacher that are, they're virtual, you can kind of, they're kind of on his schedule, um, but they're just, you know, that's 80 bucks well invested in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, again, back to what are your weaknesses? Um, you know, if, if you're a, like, if you're a CTE photo teacher that really knows how to do still lives, but you have no idea how to do photojournalism, um, you know, come to one of the college level photo workshops that um, Associated Collegiate Press offers and just take it like the students do, you know, because they're all hands on. And um, some of those workshops are are perfect for young advisors. So what um, you're saying is if if you're a, a, tr a photojournalist that masquerades as a CTE teacher that really needs to know how to do travel photography, I need to find a travel photography workshop. Yes. <laughs> because I, I, I think one of the strengths of your program is, is, is we've watched it grow over the years is it started as a photojournalism program, but now it's a photography program in a, in a masquerading in a journalism program, right? Your students do amazing work with still lifes and with portraits and other things. 
and you and that's that's not true for most journalism pro, photojournalism programs. Yeah. Um, so I would absolutely encourage um, journalism teachers to go. Wow, how how does the still life thing even feature into my program, um, or portraits or whatever? You know, one one of the questions I often get asked is, well, what are some assignment ideas that I could give my photojournalism kids that would stretch them beyond just the the photojournalism assignments that they're doing for the yearbook or the newspaper? And I always point them to the HPI fall contest categories. I said, you could you could take that list of categories and it would it would give you enough assignments for an entire year's coursework just by saying, all right, well, this week we're going to take this category and work on this as our assignment. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, back in, we enjoy back in the old days, back in the old days, and I didn't have studio lights at, at either of the high schools I taught at, but we used to use transparent transparency projectors and slide projectors as lights. And we would do still lives and um, portraits and stuff. You know, you, you MacGyver what you, you, you've got. And I love that idea of just taking the contest categories and going down them. Um, you know, I, I think the the book that ATPI does, I think, is going to be one of the things that outlasts ATPI um, because it's, it is it is amazing the quality of work that high school students are doing um, in Texas and beyond. But I'm specifically talking about Texas now. I would put the work in those now five editions of the book that we've put out um, against in, almost any professionals out there. Um, and that's just a great resource. And teachers are always saying to me, what can I give to my students? Well, here, here's a book, right? But a lot of times at workshops, I'll say, go to atpi.org, click on contest, scroll down to the bottom, click on galleries, and just start going through the galleries and then start dissecting those pictures. How did they do that? What were they thinking yeah. when they did that? One, one of the best ways to learn to be a better photographer is to look at great photography. And I don't think we stress that as much as we should. Agreed. Okay. Now you guys have known me for a while and I always have that one little barb I got to put in out there, you know? So, um, for the teachers that are reluctant to, you know, step out there and, you know, we've had these conversations whenever we do, uh, board meetings for ATPI and we discuss, you know, contests and things like that. Um, what's the thing that you would say to them that would kind of break down that barrier for them to want to compete, to want to go to these workshops and things? Cause I hear a lot from neighboring districts. They're like, Oh, well, we're not Texas high. We're, we don't, we don't have these, we don't have that. And to me, I've always heard that as an excuse. When, when I started our program, we, th there was nothing, you know, and I was lucky to get like five cameras you know, I had five cameras and 20 something students and we've grown it over 15 years, but it is completely more of the desire to want to do. And I have struck out is with helping people go, you just need to go do it, you know, trust me and just go do it. So what, what could you guys say that, that would be something other than me to going, trust me. <laughs> that, you know, we, we talked at the beginning about how the the friendships that have developed through these workshops and and opportunities over the years. And I think that's it, that you have people who understand what you're going through. You just have to put yourself out there and meet them. And I would say we're all weak at something. 
And you know, okay, now that's what I need to work on. I've been teaching um, the photo class for the master's program at Kent State University. Um, and if, as I think to not the you know first year teacher or the second year teacher, even a third year, fourth year, fifth year teacher, but as you get into those six, seven, eight, and year eight teachers, go work on your master's degree. And that Kent State program is amazing. And it's fun from my point of view to watch even experienced advisors. And there's, there's people that have taken that, those classes that have been advisors for 20 years and to a person almost, they will come into the program and go, Oh, photography is my weak point. Like you've been teaching for 20 years and photography's okay. Right. Well, you know, that photography is your weak point. And like this, this particular semester, um, there was one advisor that had been teaching for 15 or so years and is quite an amazing advisor. And she said, I've been faking it for 15 years and I need to stop faking it. And at some point during the semester, um, the light bulb came on and she got it, right? I mean, you could just tell she got it. I'm like, oh, and because I kept reinforcing with him, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know enough to get your students to convey the passion to them about learning this stuff and then let them take it and run with it. Um, and she was really good at that in, in so many other areas, but she felt weak in photography. And she wasn't, by the way. Um, she just thought she was, um, but she didn't know a lot of ways to teach it. So these workshops and other opportunities uh, just bring it back to you and go, okay, here's what I need to be a good teacher of this stuff. You know, at the beginning I, of this school year, um, uh, two advisors from across the state line uh, reached out to me and they were like, we, we want to rebuild the program over here. And they were like, what, what's your advice? And my advice was uh, to build the visual journalist first. Uh, because everybody now, you know, I think there was a time when, especially with print papers and things like that, that you had to have the the written part down pat because that was the only way you were getting your media out. But one of the things that I've noticed, especially over the past 10 or 12 years, is that everybody's getting their, their information from their phones, you know, mm -hmm. and or some sort of tablet, computer, and if you don't have the visual component, if it's just words, then you're, you're not going to get the message out. It's not going to be the thing that makes them stop and read or stop and scroll. And, uh, it's, it's very important to have the visual aspect first and then start down the other path. What's y'all's thoughts on that? I, I do agree that, um, there's an importance to, educating about the visual medium in a way that probably was not the case 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and it's, I, I think our teachers understand that. They just often are lost on how to get there. And, and I think that's where organizations like ATPI, that's where organizations like JEA and these other things that we've been talking about through this through this podcast uh, are ways in which those teachers can get more comfortable with it. And let me take kind of a different tack on it. Um, what I put try to push with my students is figure out the best way to tell the story. Right? And if you're trying to tell the story of um, ice cream, man, I want to see a picture of that ice cream. Right? Don't tell me about that ice cream and how cold it is and blah, 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 blah. I want, I want to see that picture. I want to, you know, now I'm probably talking video, right? I want to get that experience. 
right? So I think that's what's changed in the last 10 or 15 years. We always talked about storytelling. What's the best way to tell the story? But now these students can do it for it little or no cost, right? It little With little or no cost, they can produce a 30-minute documentary all on their phone, right? Edit it, produce it, do the whole thing all on their phone. But they can't do that, Clinton. I think you're right here. They can't do that without understanding lighting and composition, right? But then we also have to have the words built into it. Um, some some photos don't mean anything without words, right? If you look at what's going on across the, the down at the border now um, between Texas and Mexico, those we're looking at what's going on with Southwest Airlines and the carousels of baggage. You know, those those pictures are stunning. You know, of, of all that's mm-hmm. going on um, in those locations. But now you add 50 or 100 words to it to explain the rest of the story. Oh, now I get it, right? So some pictures absolutely stand alone and we don't need any words, but some some stories are best told through words and not through pictures, but maybe it's video, maybe it's audio. Um, You know, I I think we don't do enough with audio, for example. I will say that for those of y'all that have never seen the Krispy Kreme uh, challenge, that that was was some some quality audio there. So I'm really upset that flash doesn't work on the internet anymore because that was, you know, it's funny you say that I, I actually still have the pieces of that. And if I ever get, you know, considerable amount of time to put the pieces back together, I may put that one back together. Well, that was, Uh, I taught, I showed that and taught that for several years until flash went away. And then we haven't done it since, but, um, well, you know, the real problem with that one is, and you, the, the group will laugh at this is, um, back then, the digital cameras that we used, and we downsized our downsized our, imp- our images for online viewing at that time to 256k. Mm-hmm. So the pictures that I have are like that big, a little bitty, yeah. So, well, guys, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell anybody about uh, anything? Um, wow, you got us both to be quiet. Yeah, I know. I know. Hey, come come to ATPI Winter Conference at the end of February in Arlington or the ATPI Summer Workshop, or at least just follow us on ATPI.org. And that registration opens? Uh, well, I said originally January 1st, it'll be January 2nd. You know, I've got to recover from New Year's Eve. Okay, gotcha. Well, whatever. Because I'm, I'm headed to an Airbnb on New Year's Eve out in the middle of nowhere to try and get away from the fireworks from Monty. Oh, gotcha. Mark, you live in an Airbnb. Uh, well, except Santa Fe is so noisy on New Year's Eve uh, because of the fireworks that it's just, it's a miserable experience. Now, the other thing, Clint, I, I would add in, in closing is, um, you know, ATPI is going to make a big presence at the National High School Journalism Convention in San Francisco but also at our own photography convention in February in Arlington. Um, so this is a great opportunity. Either one of those great, are great opportunities for advisors or instructors that haven't intersected with ATPI at this point to intersect with ATPI and come and look at all the good stuff that we're doing. All right. Now back to the winter conference. Um, how many students can we have this year? Um, so we cap registration for students at 300. Which means uh, we'll have about 330. <laughs> And but then we we can have, um, you know, as many advisors on top of that. And and we often have, especially for a, a brand new teacher, uh, they will attend that first one by themselves rather than bring kids. And, you know, it, as a as a first year teacher, I don't know if I'd want to travel with kids yet. 
but come join us. It will, we'll make you feel welcome. And, um, um, I think that's, that, that's the thing that we've always tried to do is to welcome any and every, everyone. Well, I will tell everybody out there that, um, there's actually going to be 284 <laughs> registrations available because I'm bringing at least 15 or 16 kids myself. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good workshop. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is, it's a good workshop and it's unlike anything else that's out there. So. I'll agree. All right. Well guys, yep. thank you again for, uh, helping me with my project here and, uh, join us next week for our next edition. Hopefully we're going to be talking, uh, about whether you should be going DSLR or mirrorless cameras in the future. Thanks again.